dead and lovely listeners, and welcome to the brand newest installment of the brand greatest horror movie podcast in this multiverse and beyond. It's dead and lovely here with the host with the most. It's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. And me, the ghost with the least. Hollywood Steve. And we are joined today, as we promised uh, on the last episode, by a very near and dear and tan and handsome individual, a good friend of ours who has supported the show from day number one Mm -hmm. and uh, broadened my worldview and expanded me to so many movies and obscure flicks and directors and things that I had never even heard of back in our college days when I was still probably rocking some jorts and uh, he was still probably rocking a pretty good Caesar cut, like a blonde (laughs) Caesar cut. Looking like he just stepped off of a Sears or JCPenney modeling shoot, just looking real <laughs> handsome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm talking, of course, about my good buddy, Brandon Subtle. Say what's up, Brandon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's quarantine time. JCPenney's is closed. They don't need me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that so makes that, sense. That's how you freed up your schedule. Yeah. Got it. I am available to anyone. <laughs> Well, not anyone. I got a wife and kid, so. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and dude, we've wanted to have you on the show for freaking ever. But like back in the day, whenever we were recording in person, sitting face to face with each other, my recording equipment only allowed me to have two microphones. So we couldn't have guests back then. And now, like I've upgraded my equipment and stuff and I can have tons of mics, but now I can't have any people around <laughs> so <sighs> thankfully due to the Quarantine. wonders of technology and um, and that edison telephone machine that he created and <laughs> <laughs> it was graham bell, that was that was graham. Graham bell yeah. homeschool doesn't work guys homeschool <laughs> doesn't work at all uh we're able to connect and do this thing remotely and you know it's a good thing that we're not meeting in person because it's a grubby time to yeah. be in the United yep. States, and yep. Brandon doesn't have much of an immune system right now, yeah. and you guys are helping him fight back some crazy illness and stuff. A couple months ago, we posted up Brandon's GoFundMe for... Brandon, what is the name of your condition? Uh, it's called NDS, or Myelodysplastic Order, um, or Myelodysplastic Syndrome, which is a, yeah. four, it's a blood rare blood cancer that's... Uh, uh, similar to leukemia. Hey. So, uh, got diagnosed in December, waiting to mm-hmm. get a uh, transplant done here soon, hopefully. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right now, I've been doing chemotherapy, but hopefully by the end of this month or beginning of next month, uh, transplant can get started and it'll be 100 days in Nashville and then uh, a year of clinical trial chemo after that. So, Woo! Okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll have a lot of time to watch a lot of horror movies and yeah. listen to some more horror podcasts. It's a good thing you got a plan, though. You know what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. And, of course, uh, whenever we post it up, Brandon's GoFundMe, which we'll also post up uh, at the release of this episode. We'll post it up on our Instagram and Facebook and stuff. No, thanks, guys. We had a bunch of you dead and lovelies pitch in. Which means a a ton to yeah. me, and I can only imagine what that means to you, Brandon. Oh yeah, uh, so many people um, reached out and 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 uh, made comments on the GoFundMe page that they had found me through your your page, and so yeah. um, tons and tons of really kind people. So thank you all for that. Just shared it and and that donated. Uh, either way, sharing or donating is important in both ways because uh, the black community and the Latino community need more bone marrow donors. So it's really easy. Just go to be the match.com and wow. you can they send you a kid at home, swab your mouth, 
send it back and then you're in the system because um, I got a 70% chance of finding a donor whereas if you're black or Latino it drops to 20 to 30% Ooh. so holy moly I didn't know that wow so that's what I've been trying to push a lot lately since you know I've got donors I've already got yeah. well, no doubt one yeah. fell through but I've got two more already so well that's great share be a donor and donate if you can that's fine too good to know man it's also just shocking to find out that healthcare in America is expensive what, what? I never knew this. Huh. Yeah. So one of the one of the pills that I take is it's called posiconazole. Um, and I needed a refill the other day, but insurance needed a letter to get approval, blah, 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 and all that stuff that I needed to keep taking it. So I was like, well, I'll just get the three pills I need to take for tonight. Three pills, no insurance, $161. Holy cow. Uh, and I usually get a 30-day wow. supply. And I just wanted that three pills. Crazy. So it's roughly like almost five thousand dollars if you if you were to get the wow. full thirty day supply. Yeah. Wow. That is insane. That is wild, man. And that's one of the seven or eight medicines I take daily. Oh, jeez, dude. Yeah. So what you're saying is like whenever somebody has a scenario like this and they have a GoFundMe and stuff, every dollar really does make a big difference. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, and we had budgeted originally to hopefully. We thought we would already be in transplant at this point, uh, but I kept getting sick, being put in the hospital and stuff. Other things oh. kept happening. Uh, so everything got pushed back. So now we're having to re-update the GoFundMe page because uh, we still got to do 100 days in Nashville. Yeah. And wow. We're about budgeting for that. So hospital bills suck. Yeah. yeah. So everybody that can pitch in, please do. Uh, it would mean the world to us and to Brandon both. But you know, Brandon, I think that we need to give these busters a little background about how how we entered each other's lives. Because actually, uh, you got in touch with my wife, uh, who was not a my wife uh, at the time. She was uh, my girlfriend in a college. <laughs> you got in touch with her first whenever you posted up. This is like this is the thing y'all got to remember. When we were in college, this is like pre-Facebook. This is like kind of pre-social yeah. media, well, really yeah, just as MySpace was starting. MySpace so this was, was starting. Yeah, MySpace was like just yeah. getting going. But this is in the age of the bulletin board. Uh-huh. Yeah, my, MySpace and uh, hotornot.com. Oh. Anybody remember? <laughs> any of listeners Hot remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot. Try to bring that one back. Hot or not. <laughs> oh my God, man. But yeah, basically you and my wife went to the same college and you wanted to start a movie club, right? Yes. And what was the ad that you put up? You just kind of posted it up all over the campus, yeah, right? Well, I, I went to my professors and everything and tried to put together a film club to get, get together once a week and watch a movie and everything like that but they just weren't interested so I was like okay well I'll just send a mass email out to everyone on campus wow. through the, the campus email <laughs> and, just, and I literally said hey they won't let me do this so if y'all just want to hang out we can meet up wherever and then go to other people's houses or apartments and watch movies and hang out and watch movies yeah, and uh, so there was like five people out of the entire campus that <laughs> responded. Two of which were Kate, and the other one were Sister Jessie. So, yeah, yeah, they so, had no idea. Yeah, I remember Kate getting this email and being like, "There's a guy at, at college that wants to start a movie club. I'm gonna go meet him at Perkins." Wow! And I'm like, "You're gonna go get serial killed? <laughs> yeah. I'll join you with my big imposing self that I am. You're gonna go get <laughs> serial killed? Yeah, yeah, dude. And and I'm gonna be the one to stop that yeah. from happening. Uh-huh. And we went out to meet you at Perkins, which is kind of like a low rent Denny's kind of restaurant in the southeast. And it was me and Kate and her sister Jessie and you 
and there was two other people that just completely didn't join the conversation whatsoever and sat at their huh. own table. And I wonder what happened to them. I don't know. Where are, <laughs> That's where are they now? Huh. Maybe I send another mass email out and figure out where they are. No doubt, man. But whenever we met, you know, this was kind of before I really was like really into movies. Like I liked watching movies and stuff like that. But this is even before I got into horror flicks and stuff. And whenever, you know, we started hanging around with you and just, you know, hitting it off right away and, and, you know, staying up all night talking and watching movies and stuff. You know, that's when you introduced me to Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all the like classic franchises and stuff. So... I, I would. I think it's safe to say that without your evil influence, like there wouldn't be a dead and lovely because I wouldn't have got into horror movies like I did. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, between uh, Kate and I influencing you evilly, uh, <laughs> we we helped create the bin that is the bin today. <laughs> you rebuilt them. You made them stronger, <laughs> weirder, <laughs> less bowl cutty. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Don't knock the bowl cut. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's coming back. It's coming back. But yeah, because know, it has right? to, right? Because <laughs> people are at home. <laughs> JC Penney's in Santa Cheese without it. <laughs> oh man! Let's do that's kind of like yeah, the easiest at home quarantine yeah. haircut. Just put a bowl on the old head and go to town with some scissors, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, Brandon, it's uh, it's been a wild ride knowing you over all these years, and we've definitely watched many a flick together. But I'm kind of curious to find out what you've been watching this week. Well, uh, lately, uh, my wife and I have been, we finished up watching Shit's Creek, which I know is in horror, yes. mm-hmm. but you know, uh, it's an incredible show. I just recently got hooked on it maybe a month, month or two ago. We recently just, we just binged it and finished the sixth season now. So, uh, yeah, hmm. I know it's not horror, but any Shit's Creek fan out there or any uh, fan of Eugene Levy or improv. Yeah, definitely. It's one of my probably top three, um, TV shows of all time, probably. It's fantastic. Like yeah. we've been watching it too. I've talked about it on the show a couple of times. We're on like season, I think three or four right now, and it's like every season, it just gets better and better. Emily and I have it on the list of movies we're going to watch, but we haven't gotten to it oh, yet. You'll love but, it. But uh, I have seen the first couple of episodes and definitely am into it. I won't spoil anything, but Ben, have, have y'all got to the the dance and singing sequence with David? No. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll leave it at I'm that. I'm interested already there because yeah, we'll, I we'll know that's going to be amazing. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so is the final season good without spoiling anything? The final season is perfect. It, awesome. It's, it's exactly what it should be i mean you hate to see it end but the characters develop so well throughout each season and they're characters that you don't think would develop but they do man that's awesome i can't wait to get to it dude i guess that that last season will be hitting netflix like this fall right yeah i think it hits in october okay but you can buy it out there this is what we do we couldn't wait because we're like october we don't know where we'll be let's go ahead and watch this now right yeah any other things you've been watching went through and watched uh i don't know if anyone out there's a big fan of japanese Japanese cinema, but I am, and I just got the uh, um, box set of Shinya Sukamoto, who did Tetsuso the Iron Man, and yeah, and many other uh, very normal movies, very yeah. normal movies, very very, very normal, very normal mainstream. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone's yeah. seen them, but uh, yeah, I've been going through a lot of Japanese cinema here lately. Okay, how would you compare Tetsuo the Iron Man to the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Iron Man? How similar are they? They're almost the exact same. I almost <laughs> I saw I saw Endgame in 4DX, and I, I wish uh-huh. I could I could see all the Sukamoto's films in 4DX because they're so mainstream and yeah, and uh, I think people would love them in in 4DX. Are the rest of this guy's flicks all that weird? 
Um, yes and no. They get less weird as they go on and become more normal because he just starts, you know, he starts getting older and just becoming a different person. But the box set that's available has even his films he did when he was in high school and college, like on eight millimeters. So he was doing all that stop motion style stuff back even when he was in high school and college. Um, and he, you know, he was doing this cyberpunk genre before cyberpunk was a big thing and right this was back in like 88 and then the cyberpunk community you know kind of took him in and then he started making films that weren't very cyberpunkish and everybody was like what happened well he mm-hmm. he just grew up and changed is all he sold out he yeah. sold out <laughs> well the, the thing is the crazy thing about him is he stars in 90% of his movies he's usually the main guy but there's a couple where he's not the main star but he shoots most of his films he he writes and produces and directs all of them he's got full control over everything like wow he'll take months sometimes to shoot a film take his time where he's had crew just leave the sets because he was just doing everything on his own wow so because Tarantino wanted to do a Iron Man a Tetsuo Iron Man 3 and have him do it in the states and you know Tarantino told him you, you know you can have full control but he didn't accept it because he was worried he would lose control of everything that he had and he didn't want to do it but he went and made t- he went and made Tetsuo 3 anyway and it's not really good it's on Hulu though if anyone wants to watch it I think it's called All right. I think it's called The Bullet Man but it's the not Bullet good Man. it's not it's not good the sequel is good the the trequel is not good <laughs> the, trequel. Right. Yeah, the trequel. The trequel. That's, uh, that's my new thing. And of course, that's not the only Japanese director that you're into. You're the one that got me into Takashi Miike flicks. Like, we've done Audition on the podcast, and I think Ichi the Killer was one of the first ones that you showed me a long time ago, too. Freaked me the heck out whenever I watched that movie. Yeah, because Ichi the Killer was the first one I was introduced to as well. Then it was Audition, but I quickly became a Takashi Miike fan in college to the point where I ended up writing my thesis paper on them and everything so yeah just to say i'm a fan of takashi Miike is definitely putting it putting it lightly <laughs> you watched audition again recently right i did uh, uh my friend guillermo diaz um came in from california oh hey hey hang on brandon that, you just dropped a name back there. oh man you go what back is that and, and pick that up you just what dropped a name that there uh. <laughs> is that guillermo diaz is that the uh man who played the boyfriend of uh jaime in the sixth season of broad city yes the very one that the is one of my one. favorite things he's done recently because he's uh, so oh, yeah he's so like sweet and gentle in it which just comes across really genuine he's a great dude yeah. he's a fantastic human being yeah if, if y'all don't know him he's got a new show on abc united we fall family sitcom very different from what he's used to doing yeah um, but it's still really good and he's charming in it so he's definitely awesome. check him out but he, he came into town to visit we've been friends for years and he came into town to visit my family so obviously uh, as soon as i found out he had not heard of or seen any takashi miki films i took it upon myself to educate uh, my my friend <laughs> <laughs> how did that go and, and introduce introduce him to audition i i I chose Audition instead of Itchy the Killer just because I've, I've learned from my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and I also knew my wife would be in the house and probably watching it with us. So uh, I was like, my wife's going to be here. Audition is the safer bet. Okay. And, Audition is the safer bet. <laughs> yeah, that's the scary part. When Audition yeah. is the safer bet. I mean, it was yeah. either that, that or Visitor Q. So. <laughs> oh, God. So did he like the flick? He did. Uh, he, awesome. He, he was definitely not expecting... 
what he saw, but he definitely Who enjoyed would be? it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, the first half is pretty, pretty much, uh, you know, yeah. typical rom com sort right. of. And then a little bit different after that. And then it becomes, yeah. You know know what, though? That movie might be built as some kind of a litmus test to see if, like, one of your new friends is a psycho. Because if you watch that with somebody and they're like, yeah, that's about how I thought it would go. Yeah. Like, you got to leave the house now. That was very (laughs) romantic. Never never talk to me again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just want a relationship like that. Aww. Yeah, it was a nice romantic film, just like Midsummer. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Exactly, just like Midsummer. Everybody (laughs) wants those kinds of relationships. Yeah, you should should actually do a double feature audition in Midsummer, back to back. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think so. Did you show him any other flicks? Um, I did. Uh, we watched another Takashi Miike film because it was short. Imprint, the one he did for Masters of Horror for Showtime that was banned. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Imprint it is crazy. Is, yeah, brutal. Yeah, and then I felt bad for I was like, I'm just showing him two uh, torture films pretty much. Back, <laughs> yeah. back to back. He's going to think this is all <laughs> yeah. this guy does because I was like, I told him. I was like, Miike's done like over 100 movies. And two of them, he's just seen that have been torture. He also does this uh, musical comedy horror film with partial claymation and sing-along featuring Yay. zombies. <laughs> Something for everybody. Yeah, so bring the family. <laughs> what have you been on, Steve? Uh, well, Emily and I watched a documentary the other night that I'm going to recommend, but I don't want to say too much about because okay. you do not know where this is going. Even if you know the story, because this is from 2004, Uh, The basic premise is this guy had some grievances in town and he turned a bulldozer into a tank and uh, chaos ensued. And this is based on a true story. This really happened. Yes, and there's footage of of the chaos and all that. It is wild. It goes deep into, like, what caused it and, like, by the end of the documentary, you... You're not sure exactly who to trust. Uh, There's definitely some mental health issues going on, but there's also potentially a lot of truth to a lot of the things he says. And he he taped basically, I guess, what would be a suicide note uh, that where he aired all of his grievances and they just investigate those grievances and it is oh it's wild it's well worth checking out it's on hulu uh, it came out what's it called uh tread i think it came okay. out last year uh maybe but yeah it's it's a slow build keep with it like because especially if you do know the story and you know where it's going you're like oh man i i, I know there's action coming <laughs> but you just cannot guess where it's going wow yeah I, I, man i've got to watch that for our new like donkey monday thing yeah. that we're doing check it maybe out maybe i'll do that one next time it's my turn to pick yeah what else you see i've also uh continued my my wrestling watching uh yeah i get some razzle on yeah uh I, not a whole lot to say about it except that uh i finally got to see a match that i'd only seen a picture from in 1999 on a wrestling oh you sent me the photo yeah i saw this picture in 1999 on a wrestling forum forum message board of chris jericho being carried out of an arena with a broken arm covered in blood he looked like he'd just been in a car crash it is insane so much blood and i never knew like what the match was and they have it on the wwe network dude it aired on smoky mountain wrestling tv on sunday morning 
Oh, man. <laughs> so that's just how you start your Sunday off, is watching that. Yes. Wow. It's, it's funny you mentioned that, too. Um, Kay was just recently listening to, I think it's an episode of Smodcast, Kevin Smith's podcast. Uh-huh. And uh, there's another part of it that was on Jericho's podcast uh, from, like, October of last year, where him and Kevin Smith watched through Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. And I just happened to be in the room during one part when Jericho was talking about He's like, yeah, at that point I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee. Actually, it was Morristown, Tennessee, yeah, uh-huh. working for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yep. So it must have been that time period. Yeah, yeah. I um, that I just have been kicking myself watching those Smoky Mountain Wrestling shows because I remember being like... 13, 14, and my mom's boyfriend being like, let's go see some Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And I just thought it was like off-brand wrestling. But yeah, like yeah. they were having, yeah, they had Chris Jericho and Lance Storm. They had they had some big names then, and they also had people like Jake the Snake Roberts and Cactus Jack come in. So like, man, I'm, we really missed out back in the day. Well, no doubt. I think there's something about the age that we lived in, and maybe this is just me, but I know that I was completely brainwashed by like name brand dominance. Yeah, you know, where it was me like, too. Yep. Oh man, we, we got Honey O's instead of Honey Nut Cheerios. It's a bag cereal. Where's the box, Mom? It can't be as good without the box. Yeah, if you couldn't get Nikes, like I remember, I had a pair of British Knights, and I was so embarrassed by BJ's. them. But to, I think back <laughs> to them, and I thought they were so cool in reality yeah. when I saw them. But I was embarrassed to have them because they were like off brand. But they were, they were, in fact, the British Knight Michael Jackson design. <laughs> <laughs> they were so You'd cool. You'd be moonwalking with those. They were so cool. Did, did, <laughs> did the shoes make you want to beat it? Absolutely. <laughs> Last night, you guys had the old uh, screaming oh, chat, yes. didn't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it was a blast because I saw the documentary Scream Queen, Scream Comma Queen, which is uh, about the guy who plays Jesse in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, which is uh, a very... Mark Patton. Mark Patton. Mark Patton, there it is. Thank you. Which is like, uh, you know, watching it now, we see overtly gay tone to it. And then uh, Mark Patton is a gay male who uh, was playing the the role that was written uh, the way he would play it. So it comes across very gay. Uh, watching the documentary, it's uh, it's really good. It will also uh, make you sad because it Aww. it ruined his career because this was yeah. the height of the AIDS crisis, and because he he played this lead and he did a great job, but he um, his agent said, "Yeah, you can carry a movie." But you'll have to be a character actor because you cannot play straight. Oh man! Wow. So the movie basically ruined his career, and there's like some catharsis in it too because the writer of the movie has like strongly denied for a long time that he intentionally wrote the gay stuff in there, and has more recently admitted that he did. And so, oh, he has. He's gone back. Yeah. On it. So there's there's a good bit of like tension in there too. So yeah, Scream Queen, well worth watching. But I mean, it was the best movie I think we've ever watched on a Friday night streamer chat, other than <laughs> stuff that uh, Joe Bob does. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Wow, man. Awesome. So then you got to watch the actual Elm Street too. Right yeah, after we watched that. Elm Street. It's been a while since yeah. I watched it, man. Still oh, a winner. It's so great, man. It's really great. The pace of it is so good too. 
It's killer. Yeah, it's I think it builds really well. Brandon, you like that one, don't you? I do. I uh, always love, especially the opening with the bus. Yeah. So cool. It's like stuck on the like pillar, that rock yeah, pillar. Yeah, stuck yeah. on the pillar. Just the, the effects that they use in the, the, yeah, the, like the way they built all that. The miniatures. Yeah. yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Miniatures. Yeah. It, it's it, very dreamlike. It's very yeah. dreamlike. It looks, it looks great. Still holds mm-hmm. up today. Yep. Um, and then the the party scene at the pool yes freaking amazing <laughs> it's awesome you're all my children yeah. now yeah freddie adopted him it was sweet of him yeah, <laughs> that's he, good of him to do yeah, yeah that's nice a laura like latour that. joke oh yeah yeah nice. that came from the streaming <laughs> chat it was really I, it made me laugh a lot <laughs> i am shocked that none of those kids were like we have parents <laughs> yeah i don't need i don't need a father thank you one is more than enough thanks <laughs> So I wish I could have tuned in for that, but last night was the only time I had to watch the movie that we're going to be uh, talking yeah. about it's today. Fun. So we I had, had to make time. a choice. I had to do it. So I watched The Changeling instead. But I also watched a couple of other little flicky flicks this week. I'm going to tell you guys about. You guys ever heard of an Alicia Silverstone? You ever yeah, heard of her? I have. Oh, yeah, the girl from the Aerosmith videos. Yeah. Right? Exactly uh-huh. right. Uh-huh. Exactly right. You ever heard of Paul? Rudd? Ooh, the yeah, Ant-Man himself. That, that, that was the guy from the uh, the 80s toy commercial. Was it cross? It wasn't Crossfire, was it? I think no, it, it was Crossfire. No, no I it think was Super so. Mario 3. Oh, was it? the Mario 3 oh, commercial. Oh, yeah. was that cool kid <laughs> in it. Kid, yeah. Well, I don't know if it had the power glove or not, but he was at least Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah. Wow. Well, they happened to star together in a movie you may have heard of called Clueless, and I watched that the other night. That's such a great movie. How, how'd it go? It's so fun. It. Yeah. Dude, it's so fun. I also kind of did forget about the the stepbrother. Oh, um, yeah, that is the, weird. That's a little weird. Yeah. A little weird. That comes from the Jane Austen, uh, that comes from the Jane Austen, you know, what was it? Uh, is that Sense and Sensibility or Emma that they were, I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, it's still weird. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good watch. And also, the other night while we were assembling our super cheap elliptical machine that we bought oh, yeah? off of Amazon because all the gyms are closed, we put on Jaws while we were doing that just to ease the tension. Ooh. You know? Dun, dun, dun. Jaws is awesome. Yeah. It's the perfect movie, really. Especially a great, you know, summertime flick to watch the year that you're definitely not going to the beach. Yes, for yes. sure. Yes. Yeah. You watch that movie and you're like, you know what sucks? Beaches. Yeah. Look how miserable this Who is. Who needs them? They're full of sharks. Nobody. Full of sharks, full of Miss Kittners. Oh, oh. Miss Kittner, the original Karen. Oh. Am I right? She'll yes. slap up. She'll slap a cop for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. She wants to speak to the manager of the beach She'd be like, now. No Baywatch on my watch. That's right. That's right. You know, the subject of our show today is going to be The Changeling, which is a choice made by our good buddy Brandon here. This is the movie that you wanted to choose, and I want to know why you got into it. But first, before we get into the movie review proper... Brandon, I just feel like these people, they need to get you to know you from the insides. Whoa. They need to get to know you better. They get, need to know you more deeply, you know? Ooh. More deeplier. Deeply. So I say before we start the movie review, how about we just take a little, just a little pit stop here into the preview <laughs> palace. All right. Ooh. Four tires, quick. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a pit stop. <laughs> 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 go 
buddy. Go, go, go. Welcome to the Preview Palace, Brandon Suttles edition. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I just really hope that somebody caught that I just made a, a little jab at the PlayStation 1 NASCAR, I think it's NASCAR 98 video game, <laughs> the one that starts Ooh, off with flirting with disaster. Because every time you leave the pit stop in there, the, the guy on the um, on the speakers goes, go, buddy, go, go, go. Go, buddy, go, I go, I really go, hope go. somebody oh, caught that. that. And they were like, yeah. he just made a NASCAR reference for PlayStation. <laughs> I hope somebody got it. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brandon. So in order for these guys to get to know where you're coming from and what your angle is, what you're all about, for the preview palace section here, I would love just to get a rundown of your top five horror flicks. You're on a horror podcast. You introduced me to so many of my favorite horror movies. So I think you need to let these buses know about your top five and maybe drop some some honorable mentions along the way too. That sounds like a sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I'm sure you had an easy time narrowing this down, right? Com- completely. Uh, Uncle Ben asked me to do this, and uh, I started typing them out and. Next, next thing I know, I was at number 36 and <laughs> didn't, didn't know where to go from there. Yeah. So Wow. So I, fi- I figured I would just, you know, get out of the way and say, you know, obviously, you know, typical films like The Shining, Halloween, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street, um, you know, Misery. Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Poltergeist. Right. Uh, you know, Carrie. You know, the, your typical classics, obviously, I'm a big fan of. So I wanted to try to point out some more, I guess, what I think are more unknown films. Cool. To people. Give these people some new things to check out. I like it. Yeah. um, I'll throw in a recent one, which is rare for me. Um, Okay. So recently, I thought this little film called Harpoon. I've never even heard of this. I haven't either. I thought it was really, really cool. Uh, Great practical effects. Uh, Just a couple of friends that go out on a boat and things happen. Uh, okay. okay, but it came out last in the last year, I think. Uh, it's on. I don't know if it's it's got to be streaming somewhere, but I bought it on Vudu. Um, okay, but Harpoon, is it like a, a man versus nature kind of movie, like Jaws or something? Oh no, it's oh okay. It's man versus man versus woman versus woman. It just it's about complicated friendships. Ah, Sounds like American gotcha. Gladiators. Yes, just, oh, just like okay. American Gladiators. <laughs> so it's it's uh, laser and nitro and, <laughs> and lace, I guess. <laughs> lace, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll definitely watch that based on those recommendations and comparisons. Yeah, it's it's great. I guess for older stuff or semi-older stuff, I also threw in a Spanish film called The Orphanage. Oh, yeah. Orphanage. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that, but never seen it. Yeah. Oh, we should do it on the show, yeah. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a good one. Guillermo del Toro um, produced it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. it's hard to find. It's streaming, like, somewhere, but, like, you can't... You can only rent it on Vudu. You can't buy it. It's like one of those. Like, it's mm-hmm. difficult to find nowadays. Yeah. But it is streaming somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Orphanage. I know I've heard people talk about it. I want to say some other people, maybe even on the Facebook group, suggested that we cover it at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been suggested. It's definitely on our list, and it, it's one that uh, I also enjoy. Is it one of them movies where they don't be speaking English? I gotta <laughs> that, read while yeah. I watch this movie. It's, it is It is one of them. They speak that Espanol. I'm gonna have to have you over so you can read the movie to me <laughs> while I watch it. Okay? <laughs> What's them words say? I'll, I'll, I'll whisper everything in your ear for you. <laughs> oh, now we're definitely doing yeah. it for sure. That's a Netflix and chill. I know what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> so that's your number four pick. Very cool. I'll have to check that out because that sounds intriguing. Like, what's kind of the 
what genre of horror would you say it is? Is it a haunting mm. flick? Like, what is it? Mm, yeah, I wouldn't want to say too much about it, honestly. Okay. All right, yeah, because right. yeah. can't spoil it. It's got yeah. some, yeah, it's got some like slow reveals and stuff. It's it's good. It's uh, it's the one I think you will find. Uh, at the, I haven't seen it in a few years, but when I saw it, uh, I thought this movie is from the mid two thousands. I think it's probably one of those like early mid 2000s movies that actually stands out as good what do you got sliding in at your number three position brendan oh this was an this is an odd one but i I like to give this film kind of a shout out when i can and it's it's definitely um it's one i watched when i was in college it's called titicate follies Mm. never heard of this either i haven't seen this but i i think i know what it is is it the one about the insane asylums yeah it's a documentary about um insane asylums um i guess it was back in the 70s yeah i i I have read about it i think you're right i think it is the 70s well that's back when they were treating mentally ill people really 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 well so i don't really know what could be scary about that Mm. basically it's it's imagine faces of death but actually real yeah. Oh no. And it's all I think I'm pretty sure it's all in black and white, so it just yeah. makes it even creepier. Yeah. It's one of the things that um American Horror Story season two is referencing. But it, okay. I've never seen it. It just reading the descriptions of it was like, Oh gosh, no, that's a movie you don't come back from, I guess. But it's also important because it exposed what was going on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a documentary or is it a movie? It's a documentary. Oh, but yeah, it's wow. frightening. <laughs> it is very frightening. Very dork. Wow. Okay, so that sounds shocking and depraved. What about your number two choice? Is it something light and uplifting and fun? Yes. I'm probably going to go with House. Oh, House. Yeah. yeah, dude. Uh-huh. Now, which one am I talking about is the question. Okay, is it the Korean, I believe? Because both I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go with the Japanese Oh, Japanese, all right, okay. Yes. It's a really normal movie. Yeah, really that's normal. a strange very, one. Very, very normal, but I love everything about that movie. It's, it's especially for the time or period it was made in, it just mm. looks incredible, and it's creepy as hell, and I mean, if you're a cat person, you'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> How similar is it to cats? Is it as scary or scarier than cats? Well, nothing's scarier than cats. That's, scarier that's actually cats. my number one. Thanks for the spoiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> How similar is it to House MD? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, is uh, is Hugh Laurie in it? Well, yeah. It, oh, okay. You know, House good. MD was good. the direct sequel to oh, it. Okay. <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> I, I gotta watch it with that in mind now. Yeah, yeah I, I thought that was obvious. I'm sorry. I'm so this guy is gonna get addicted to Viking, and you're gonna think the whole time, right? <laughs> when did House come out? 77. Whoa, it's that old? Yeah, the Japanese one came out in 77. The American, not version. Yeah, it was like 86. That's crazy. So that makes it like completely unlike anything else that was happening at the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure... It was kind of typical in Japan, I guess, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, this is a normal film. <laughs> Makes sense. Ah, yes. <laughs> okay, so you've had a, a wide array of choices here on your list. Uh, and I like, too, that you're going for these ones that aren't, like, super ultra well-known. I mean, it's like we all love Halloween and stuff like right. that, yeah. obviously. But I like that you're going for some of these ones that might introduce some people to some flicks that they haven't seen before. So I'm I'm on the edge of my seat waiting to hear your numero uno what could it be i mean this is this was a tough one really really tough and uh you know it was a runner-up between this and jesus camp 
Oh, oh my god! <laughs> but, uh, Jesus Camp is utterly horrifying. Yep. But this one beat it out, and mostly it's because just really the last twenty minutes of the movie, I think, is okay. probably some of the most terrifying things I've ever seen wow. on camera. And that is fire in the sky. Oh, oh my right. goodness gracious! Yeah. I think you showed me that movie the first time. It is utterly chilling. Yeah. It's like you said, the last 20 minutes of that movie, like a lot of the movie is kind of slow and yeah. kind of dull. It's like a TV movie for the first part. Right. Yeah. But then, oh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And then that last 20 minute kicks in and you're like, where the hell did I just end up? Like, Dude, yeah. it is utterly insane. Like if anybody's listening to this and they like alien abduction stuff and things like that, UFO movies, it's easily the scariest depiction of aliens and an abduction that has ever been put to film. Yeah. Like, nothing even comes close, in my opinion. No, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's Ooh. completely terrifying. And the fact that it's even really still PG-13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's brutal. Like, it's tough. Oh, yeah. See, that's one that, like, I remember back in the day, whenever it came out and I was a kid and I wasn't allowed to watch any kind of movies like that, I remember seeing it advertised on TV and I remember seeing the print ads in like my comic books and game magazines and stuff like that, and just always wondering what that movie was like or what it was about or anything like that. Right. And we watched it in probably when we were in college or just out of college. So, you know, at that point I was in my 20s, mid 20s, and I was still just blown wow. away. Yeah. Just blown away. It's like even all that, you know, all the preparedness of all those years could not prepare me for how messed up the ending of that movie is right agreed it's also got robert patrick in it who we talked about last week on the terminator episode that's right yeah i forgot about that that dude's uh that dude's good i like that robert patrick yeah Yeah. really underrated movie like i don't meet a lot of people that have seen that yeah it's it's definitely one that uh is uh i i think uh it's because you didn't see it as a kid it's one i saw as a kid but it is like very jarring and and uh, sticks in your head and definitely was a a cause of extreme worry for me because i did believe in aliens like mm-hmm. abducting people at the time and it was like okay so just avoid being outside at night i guess right <laughs> <laughs> i guess so that's a great choice and kind of like again kind of an underrated one to have up there as a number one but it needs to be because People need to watch that movie, you know? Yeah. Do you have any other, like, uh, maybe honorable mentions that just kind of snuck their way off your list? Well, I like... Uh, Jesus Camp. <laughs> Jesus Camp, obviously. Um, I like to toss in, because I'm a huge Robin Williams fan, I think One Hour Photo is a... Oh, right. Horror film. That is a disturbing movie. Yeah. Is, it's the only horror film he did, I think, right? Or did he do something else? Well, I guess straight horror. He did... Uh, like a thriller called, I think, The Night Listener. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that one, too. I think Toys was really disturbing. Oh, yes. That's a good, yeah. For toys sure. Toys is pretty terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I yeah lo- that's I a love, weird movie. Yeah. I love Toys. It, it looks good, but it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's very, very weird, man. Yeah, one-hour photo. That's a good one, man. He is so believably creepy in that. Yeah, and the the worst part is you feel empathy for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Sad, yeah. And yet you're terrified of him at the same time. Right. So it's, it's a good, well-layered horror film. Right. Yeah, no doubt, man. Any other uh, noteworthy mentions you got? People don't talk about this one a lot. Stir of Echoes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kevin, I've never seen Kevin it. Bacon. Dude, I have seen that movie so many times. I, uh, I saw it, and 
this was in a period when uh, I like they used to sell a ton of like five dollar VHSs because DVDs had come along, and so oh like, yeah, you get them cheap. Yeah, I would just buy one every night after work of waiting tables, and I got Sir of Echoes, and I remember watching it, and that the hypnotism scene just sold me on it immediately like where she's walking him through the hypnotism and like she says that the entire theater is black and it just it just like when everything turns black it's really cool it's really good kevin bacon does a great job and uh there's i have a fingernail phobia oh yeah oh right i've heard people talk about there's a fingernail like destruction scene in that movie that's grueling yeah Yeah, so if you got fingernail phobias tread lightly right (laughs) yeah (laughs) Hide your wife, hide your kids. Yep, hide them all. <laughs> you know one that I was kind of expecting you to put on the list, Brandon, because it was one that you showed me back in the college days that you loved that I'd never seen before, freaking Parents. Oh, you Parents know? is awesome. It's on my list of 36. I figured <laughs> yes. it would be. It is I figured it would be. It is on oh, there. Oh, it's a weird movie. I, I, yeah. I love that movie, and I, I tossed mm. it around for a long time, and obviously the uh, the guy that wrote that movie is a well-known comedian and actor Bob mm-hmm. Balaban mm-hmm. Uh, not seen it definitely buy the blu-ray it's got a great commentary with Bob Balaban on there oh um, awesome and it's a recent commentary just like you know six or seven years old oh, so cool. he even talks about it's the first time he's watched the film in many years and oh wow yeah so he goes goes in depth to it but yeah super weird movie and I caught that Love on my t- TV when I was a kid and, oh god and I was just like hey it's got Uncle Eddie in it this will be good <laughs> yeah exactly I rented it as a kid because the box looked funny because it did yeah Yeah. it it was like well that guy's in christmas vacation like this is probably funny and yeah it was one of those i loved it as a kid but it was because it scared me i was like oh whoa that is weird what i guess i don't want to spoil a movie that that's that old but it's just got such a good twist to it yeah and the 80s were also really good about the covers that go on the VHS, the movie posters. Oh, that's how they got you, dude. Yeah. Um, the 80s had a lot of, like, dark comedies and uh, right. dark satirical comedies, like the movie Neighbors. Uh-huh. Neighbors. I don't know if I've seen that one. Yeah, Neighbors. John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. There we go. Okay. And they released this movie on during Christmas, and it's just the darkest comedy. It's not what people were expecting. Uh, it's super dark, so... Uh, the 80s were very good at that and again yeah. the cover art for it was made you think hey this is gonna be a comedy it's right. got Dan Aykroyd and, and Belushi and it's gonna be funny ha 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 look at this playful cover it's also come from the guy that directed and wrote Rocky oh <laughs> uh, wow okay so yeah Neighbors check that one out if you're not seeing okay. it it's pretty, pretty crazy awesome any other uh, honorable mentions you wanna slip in well I'd feel bad if I did horror films and didn't at least mention one Takashi Miike film you got to. I'd say that would probably go with Gozu. Gozu. Now, you've shown me a lot of his flicks, and I think I've seen Gozu, but which one is it? Yeah, Gozu stands for cowhead. Oh, okay. Which oh, okay. I remember now. Yeah, now I remember the cover. Yeah, I remember the boy now. wearing a, the cowhead on his head. Huh. Mm-hmm. I do not yeah. know this one. All right. Oh, it's I'll weird. have to check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds weird. Yeah, yeah, super weird. I don't know how to... You, you can't describe the ending without spoiling anything crazy but that ending and the the effect the practical effects used in that is terrifying and super creepy and you've never seen anything like it on film before dude i think one of the movies that you showed me that creeped me out the most of anything and most people don't even classify it as a horror movie is uh mulholland drive yes i mean the the scene of the cafe alone sets it up as a oh my uh, gosh man 
in like the the mud man out back and all that stuff. It's terrifying. Yeah. I think it's horror. Slowly going around the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. You know, horror romance. Mm-hmm. I don't know where else where else you'd put that movie because like right. if you watch that yeah. and you're like it's anything other than horror again that's like a good psycho finder test movie yeah. right. you watch that movie and you're like that was great I really enjoyed the whole thing it's like so you're a maniac right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great that's a good list Brandon thanks man you put together a solid uh, solid bunch of movies that it sounds like I need to check out and so do our dead and lovely listeners so yeah sounds like I got some homework I need to be doing if people want to know i can send ben and them my 36 and y'all can read them and they can post it wherever they want if you're curious brandon why don't you post that old list of 36 up over on the facebook group at dead and lovely by facebook dead and lovely com that's it right <laughs> it's facebook that's exactly yeah. nailed it facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely that might work too yeah. i guess that'll work as well post it up on there that way everybody can check them out and weigh in their opinions and stuff get to know you better come in and know me better man <laughs> would be glad to and of course if you guys like this show, you guys can help support us on the Patreon. Steve, can they give us their money on Patreon? Patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely for just $1 a month. You can get our Patreon exclusive episodes. We've done some, uh, we've done some Twilight Zone. We did, uh, we did us an X-Files. We did a, a Simpsons Halloween special recently. Yeah. Fun stuff. So for just a dollar, you can do that. And if you're a $5 patron, you can submit a movie, and it might get randomly drawn once a month when we do our random Patreon drawing, and then we cover that movie. Yay! You Yay. can control the show! Take control! So yeah, be sure to check that thing out, support the show, and uh, join the Facebook group, all that other stuff. Join in the chat. But you know what, fellers? You know what, boys? What? I just feel like I need to sink my teeth Ow. into the meat of this podcast. I need to just get a, a hold of something juicy. I need to get some gristle Let's do it. around my gums <laughs> and get to the subject of the episode, which is none other than Brandon's pick, The Shinjaling. The Shinjaling. Shinjaling. Which is, uh, what is it, 1979 or 80? 80. 80. Yeah. 1980. An old flick here. This is one that I had never seen before. It features... Scrooge and Haints and Boogers. <laughs> he he deals all kinds of Haints and Boogers. He do. Yeah, it's got that George C. Scott in it. I saw this as a as a kid and uh, didn't uh, didn't like find it very impressive as a kid, but watching it yeah. now as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is first off good. Uh, second off, extremely influential. Oh my god, yes. I'd love if we could go back and get like a review with you back then with like little Steve small town Steve he was called back then three of ten no <laughs> boobies <laughs> needs more Haints and boogers <laughs> Brandon what was the first time you watched this movie oh god I was probably seven or eight mm. wow when I saw it and I remember vividly my uncle Carl uh, mm. Recommended it. Carl's a great uncle name, by the way. It is. <laughs> it's a, it's a very <laughs> uncle name. But Uncle Carl uh, recommended it to me as a kid. I obviously knew I loved horror movies um, and everything. And and the film is rated PG. That's true. Yeah, it's family friendly. It's family true. friendly. <laughs> so he did not feel bad recommending it to. Although he did recommend Rocky Horror Picture Show, Beavis and Butthead, and South Park to me later on in life. <laughs> He's got a good moral compass on yeah. Uncle Carl. And 
he took me to see Sleepwalkers, and I, I think I, I, I ran out of the theater in the first ten minutes and <laughs> went in to see Wayne's World instead. Well, I mean, not a bad move. Yeah, that's honestly. a good You're a young move. man of discerning yeah. right. taste. Clearly, this is true. But yeah, so I was probably about seven or eight. My uncle Carl recommended it to me. I think he probably let me borrow his VHS copy, and, and I watched it. And again, just like Steve, I, I you know, I, I saw it. I was, you know, it was scary, but I don't think. It, it didn't connect with me much. And I just mm. remember as I grew up older, it's a movie that kept coming back in conversations yeah. or seeing on, on film boards. And uh, I ended up just going back to it and like, oh man, this is actually, this is well made. This is yeah. really good. Very influential to other films that I enjoy. So I was like, this is, this is good stuff. So yeah. 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 This is one of those movies where it's like your favorite horror movies director. This is his favorite. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also uh, uh, listed as uh, Martin Scorsese's scary. Uh, he's listed yeah. as the scariest film that he's ever seen. Yeah, he's got Jeez. it on his top top eleven list of scariest yeah. films. Yeah. I found this interesting that this is a Canadian film. Hey. Yet another Canadian film we've done that is extremely influential, but not talked about a ton. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Other than being a uh, Black Christmas, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this movie is uh, is Canadian and uh, shot shot in Vancouver despite the fact it's supposed to be Seattle. <laughs> Does it snow yeah. a lot in Seattle or where were they when they were in the snow? <laughs> like, what That's was going question. on there? Yeah, I'm not really sure where that was, huh? <laughs> yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, they shot it in Vancouver and I think a little bit in Toronto and Toronto. I think there's like a few shots that were filmed in New York maybe. Maybe. Maybe yeah, some exterior shots. Yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, primarily a, a Canadian fl- film as they're known. Yeah. Film. And I had never seen this before. I didn't know anything about it. Like leading up to this episode, I didn't even watch any trailers. I didn't read any reviews. I wanted to go into it totally clean slate because this is one of those flicks that like has kind of been forgotten in a lot of ways. Sure, you don't really see yeah. it popping up on a lot of lists of you know best horror flicks and most influential flicks, but it certainly needs to be on them because sure. remember we watched this movie last night. It was the kind of thing where I felt like this movie had been made by like a time traveler that right. went in the future and watched <laughs> so many of the movies that we grew up with and put those movies or sorry put those ideas in a movie in 1980. Right. Um, very very crazy, but. I loved it. I thought it was really fantastic. Like, right from the get-go, we started watching this last night, and we were both like, this is a great movie. Yeah. Brandon, what is it that made you choose this, of all the horror movies that you could have chosen for this episode? What made you choose this one? I think for the same reason how I did my, my horror list. Like, I was just looking looking for something that, you know, that was really good, that is well-respected, usually within the horror community, but yet not talked about a lot. Right. Yeah. And it was really hard because I was like, I would know, love to do another Takashi film, but I was like, y'all already did at least one episode of that. I was like, let's bring it down. So I was like, mm-hmm. I, started, I just started like, you know, looking up stuff and just searching because I can't remember everything that I've seen. Right. Um, I mean, when it, once I run across it, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen that. I remember that. Um, so I just started searching through lists and just came across it. I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen this in a while. This was really good. I rewatched it. I was like, yeah, we got to do this one. This would be a good one. So, and then I found out you had uh, been in seen it and yeah. I was like, this is perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, no kidding, man. And this is exactly up my alley too, because I love 
slow burn atmospheric stuff that's not just overridden with you know jump scares and cgi and crap like that like right this movie has a lot of the hallmarks of other flicks that i love you know mm-hmm. um like the shining and like the others mm-hmm. and yeah. house of the devil like i see so many of my favorite flicks taking stuff from this movie what's some of the the inspirations that you guys see that this uh, movie lent to as far as like other flicks that it inspired well it, it's definitely the american ring i mean you put ringu and right? this together you got the ring mm-hmm. for sure i think so too yeah and other than just you know there's a well in both of them i think that there's oh there's so many elements yeah like even his daughter's love of horses and 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 stuff oh, yeah. like yeah that's that's uh uh, added to Samara's character like yeah there's so many small things I saw that I was like oh I see like and I'm not even uh, I w- I'm not even looking at this in a detrimental way as though like oh they're just ripping that off I think they took a really good movie and just took little threads from it and put them into what also is a really good movie um, also the others for sure yeah. that's the one that Great kept movie. coming up for me too I mean there's like very overt things like the fact that it's ghost in a Victorian mansion and there's a seance and stuff yeah. like this, but it's even down to stuff where like the guy that's the groundskeeper for the house on this is like Mr. Tuttle. They named one of the groundskeepers and the others, Mr. Tuttle. Right. Too. Right. Yeah. It's like very overt homage. It's almost like the guy that did the others watched this movie and I was like, what if I told this story from the perspective of the ghost? Yeah. And that's how that movie came about. <laughs> yeah. It's I a wish really I would have cool seen idea. this before we did our episode on the others. Actually, we haven't done the others. We haven't. No. Sweet. Yeah, so we got that coming up. Yeah, so (laughs) awesome. I just made my own best future. Yes, you did. Uh, so yeah, those two for sure. I I think it's it's got some you know small influences on uh, a few other things, but like, like the Conjuring. And yeah, stuff. the Conjuring for sure. But the thing is that the Conjuring is from Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were popular before this movie. So some of Ed and Lorraine Warren is going into this movie, and then some of this movie is going into the Conjuring. So. Uh, it, it's definitely an influence, but also what the main influence is Ed and Lorraine Warren, I would assume, because mm. they were you know popular paranormal investigators at the time, and and this movie definitely paved the way for things like Ghostbusters. So like, because the way that George C. Scott is just like so immediate in his belief of like, oh, it's a spirit, and like, oh, we need a seance and all these things. Like, he just presents this idea of like, oh, you can be a rational person and believe in ghosts. Yeah. And then the next step is, okay, well, if rational people are believing in ghosts, what if they bust them? (laughs) I was going to say, I like to think about Dan Aykroyd uh, watching this in the theater and being like, would have been better if you would have busted that kid. Yeah. That kid needed busting. He really should have trapped him in some sort of device. (laughs) Spare the bust, spoil the child, they always say. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think it definitely influenced those. And, you know, there's a lot of other things that came out around this same time period that I would like to say it influenced, but I don't know who did it first. Like right. this, this movie came out the same year as The Shining, and they both feature a ominous right. rolling ball. There's a good yeah. bit of like I would say like Stephen King to this, but it's not it's not possible that they stole from them because like there's some bit that I would say maybe comes from Dead Zone, like especially the politician angle. Um, okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Dead Zone is after this, um, and. 
or uh, it actually came out, I think, six months before this, which would make it impossible that it influenced this because the script would already right. be done. Uh, yeah. And then also, uh, Pet Cemetery seems maybe to take that scene a bit, like because I know that Stephen King has said that he had a dream of his son getting hit by something. And that's what inspired it. But, like, the visual way we see it in uh, Mary Heron. Is that who directed? I can't remember. Mary Lambert. Mary yeah. Lambert, Mary Lambert right. yeah. Yeah, Mary Lambert's... Uh, the way they show it in that is so reminiscent of it's very this similar. film. Yeah. And, dude, that's one of the things about this movie that, that blew both of uh, us away when we were watching it last night. It wastes no time. This movie comes in way hot yeah. like in the yeah. intro it's just like happy family in the snow pushing the car <laughs> yeah boom they're all dead <laughs> it's just like it's like here's a gorgeous gorgeous family they're so happy dead a snowball fight just <laughs> yeah dude oh my gosh man like it was the kind of thing where it happened so suddenly and out of nowhere that you know, we paused it so we could rewatch it. Yeah. And, uh, we paused it and we we're like, we're like two minutes into this, including <laughs> credits. And we're already like rewinding parts to watch again because they were so shocking. The way that wreck is filmed Ugh. is really great. Like, yeah. I love how you can see the big truck in the distance as he's on the phone. Mm-hmm. You see the car pulling out on the other side of the road. It's like these two, you know, two elements that are just like faded to, to, to hit each other on this icy road. You see it coming. And like you're there with George C. Scott going, no, just like trying mm-hmm. to stop it. Yeah. It's very well filmed. Yeah. And uh, it's also impressive too that as brutal as it is, not gory. No, not at it's all. all. It's all in the it's all in the editing. The mm-hmm. Very hit, you'll hear us say it a lot throughout the episode, I'm sure, but very Hitchcockian in the editing. Right. And uh, I mean, it's definitely inspired by Psycho, and definitely, I mean, if the editor's not a fan of Psycho, then I'd be shocked. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely be shocked by that for sure. The movie is shot beautifully. I think it's a yeah. really awesome it movie. Um, I like the fact that it's not super polished. It's got that like seventies gritty seventies yeah. look. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. And that just kind of makes that old decrepit house seem even more decrepit and even more dark and like the scenes where he's like walking up the stairs to that secret room and stuff they're so dark that you're like i can barely see what's going on but that's also what he's seeing too right yeah it's a it's a really good uh representation of his his uh experience too yeah i i think that it looks gorgeous in in uh yeah as you said a grimy way like the the you see this like mansion in the distance but it's also covered in this sort of like ivy and the the driveway is mud it's like yeah yeah there's like just some grossness to it all and really that house that we're talking about is uh just like how we talked about in the shining and other flicks like this that take place mainly in one location that house is a character to yeah, itself it's, yes. yeah in this movie yeah it's definitely got like it, it moves it it talks sort of with its noises and stuff yeah the house mm-hmm. is very uh animated and one thing that i really like about the way that they portray the the character of the house and stuff too is even some of the earliest shots that you get of whenever he's walking in and checking out the house we get a lot of those shots that are looking down from the stairwell right mm, and yeah. at, at first when you watch it you're like that was just a cool creative choice right. to show how big this house is but then you go back and you realize oh that was like ghost vision yeah that was the right ki- that was the kid's ghost watching him right and yeah. as the medium says because he's experienced that loss 
he's open to the spirit. So it's like the kid sees he can he can actually use this guy. Yeah, that's one of the things that I kind of got out of this too is that it was the fact that he himself had gone through such a loss in his own life that he was, you know, he had the sensitivity, so to speak, yeah. to be in touch with his spirit and help it out. I think that's something that the spirit of the kid yeah. kind of sensed and knew. And that's why, you know, other tenants had just, I guess, run off. Right. Yeah. Whereas, because uh, the kid didn't want him there. So, yeah. Yeah. But he, he hears, he's actually able to hear the kid once he listens to the recording. Like, he can really, like, attune himself to it. And maybe that's too, it's like that's part of his way of dealing with the grief of. Right of the loss of his own family. It's like he's just trying to put something together and solve something. Yeah. Um, you know, considering how just senseless and out of nowhere the death of his family was. Right. I think also what helps drive him is the fact that he couldn't save his own family because he was trapped in the telephone booth. Yeah. And he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't get out to save his own family, so he, he sees this as opportunity to, to, you know, try to save somebody and, and fix a problem that he wasn't able to able to fix prior. So I think it totally. gives, also helps give him some motivation. I think so, too, man. I think so, too. That's exactly how I felt about it. And I even kind of think, too, you know, one of the things we kind of talked about when we were setting up the episode there is the way that he does have this readiness to believe in ghosts. Like, at no point in there is he ever like, I don't believe in boogers. Nope. No, he is he is convinced well ahead of time, and it's presented in the film like it's just a logical sort of normal thing. Like he has the seance, um, without like any hesitation. He believes yeah. what goes on in it. There's no like, there's no cynicism. He's not looking for like you know some, looking under the table. Right. And stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's totally bought into it. So like, yeah, and he's not it, scared of it. Not scared of it at all. Yeah. Well, because here's the thing to me um, that I was kind of thinking about too, as as a person who has just experienced that kind of loss of his of his daughter and his wife just out of nowhere, yeah. and and I love too that the movie shows him grieving it's like the, the alarm goes off at six in the morning and he's just been crying yeah just crying yeah. Yeah, yeah he's not like a stoic like i'm a man i'm never sad about nothing like no. it shows us that you know his private life he's still very much grieving but if you think about it too i think that his uh readiness and willingness to accept the possibility of the of the spiritual realm to him isn't scary that's probably more hopeful than anything because that means that it wasn't the end of his family's lives. Right, yeah. You know, the potential of ghosts means that his family is still yeah. out there somewhere living on in the next life. Yeah. And I would think that he would see that as a hopeful thing more than a, Absolutely. a scary thing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how he's presented for sure, that he's he sees this as a good, positive thing that ghosts are out there. And George C. Scott just crushes in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he does. And I got to admit, like... For somebody that, that says that they like movies and stuff like that, I'm actually pretty undereducated in a lot of areas because I think the only other movie I've seen with him is freaking Christmas Carol. To wow, me, he is really? Ebenezer Scrooge. Huh. So you, you haven't seen Dr. Strangelove? Never seen it. What? what? I know, right? What's the matter with me? That's you gotta see that. I mean, yeah, strange love, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, Patton couldn't be seen yeah. if you want to, but uh, strange love is a definite. See, I didn't even know he was in it. Yeah, he's great in it. He's hilarious wow. in it. Yeah, he was the voice of McLeach in the Rescuers Down Under as well. Also, no yeah. kidding. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Old bad, old bad guy. Are there some other like mm-hmm. classic roles of his that I should definitely watch to educate um, myself? Uh, those are the three I wrote down, actually. The three, you mentioned Dr. Strangelove, Patton, and A Christmas Carol. Those are the ones I think of the most with him. Um, I Are there any you can think of, Brandon? Well, I know people talk about his, his role in Exorcist 3 a lot. Right, uh, yeah. Which I, ha- I haven't seen, uh, but I heard he, I haven't either. He does a good job. Um, he was also in Firestarter. Uh-huh, yes. Firestarter. So you're right. Yeah, but Dr. Strangelove is definitely, yeah, I think, that's his, numero uno. his top. Like yeah. there's no wow. be- there's no okay. beating that. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. Even in that movie, it's it's black and white, right? Like it was way before this, wasn't it? Uh it is black and white, but it wasn't way before this, I don't no. think. Okay. It was actually intentionally shot in black and white, though color was available. Yeah. So they yeah. filmed it when he was a spry seventy five years old, right? Because he's <laughs> one of those guys that's just yeah. always ancient in movies. Yeah. Strange Strange Love was sixty four. Sixty four, so. there 64. you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So yeah, he was maybe seventy four at that point. <laughs> exactly. He's one of those guys that's just always super old. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's him and, and Trish Vandeveer in this, and Trish Vandeveer is his wife. They had been married oh. for eight years at this point. They were in a few movies together, hmm. uh, and they were actually together until his death in 1999 when he was wow, 300 man. years old. <laughs> yeah. so it's right here. It's right there on the Wikipedia. What a life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had a good long run, uh-huh. huh? Yeah. This is also this is directed by uh Peter Medic and that is very much worth mentioning because uh this is specifically for Kate. He directed a whole bunch of episodes of Fairy Tale Theater. Oh, Fairy Tale Theater's awesome. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He also directed the Washingtonians episode of Masters of Horror, which is a good one. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. He went on to direct a good bit of uh, TV, but, like, you look at his credits and they're, like, the best TV shows. Like, The Wire, Breaking Bad, uh, Hannibal. Just Home Improvement. Home Improvement. He did actually direct an episode <laughs> of House. So <laughs> There we yes. go. Tie in. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so uh, he was the third director, though. The first two directors left because uh, they couldn't work with... The producers, I guess, creative differences, and uh, they brought in Peter Medic, and uh, he had about a month to prepare script rewrites and get sets built. You know, I bet the way that they got this done is they were sitting around the the script and they're going, "Oh my gosh, this thing is a mess. It could really use a doctor or a medic." (laughs) (laughs) Medic? Is there a medic in the house? Right? Am I right, guys? Anyone? Anyone? That's a knee slapper. That is a knee slapper right there. Yeah. Listen, that's me slapping my knee. You're <laughs> so, yeah, but that I mean. Was, that wasn't your knee, Ben. It wasn't my knee. No, <laughs> it was not my knee. So, yeah, he came in and, and as I said, not a lot of time to, to turn it around, but he obviously nailed it. I mean, it, it looks great. And I'm surprised they did those sets in under a month. See, that's the thing that blows my mind, is the fact that that house wasn't a house. Right. The exterior is a house, but that's not where they shot. Well, the exterior is a facade. Like, they just built the exterior of the house around a more modern house. Right. (laughs) And then all the stuff you see inside is sets. That's mind-blowing to me, because you never feel like it. Like, most of the time in movies, whenever something is shot as, you know, a house on a set, it feels like it. Like, even... um, like Hereditary, for example. Mm-hmm. It feels like the walls were placed in such a way to allow certain camera angles and right. stuff, which plays into the, the dollhouse narrative right. of that movie, too. But with this movie, 
I don't know, Brandon, did it ever feel like a set to you or did it just feel like a house? No, it, it really did feel like a house. And I mean, that's something that, especially in older movies, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind if it looks and feels like a set. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's on purpose and it's an aesthetic choice. And, um, but in this, no, none of it seems like a set at all. No. Like, Mm-mm. Um, as big as a character as the house is, right. you would think that it would come across more as a set than it would be. Right. And I think the other kind of like un- unlisted cast member that really makes this movie is definitely the the sound design oh and the soundtrack. 100%. Man. Absolutely incredible. Sound design they build, is great. They build the atmosphere and the tension yeah extremely well like mm. dude i think if i if i just heard a random sound bite of the of the tub thumping there's some tub thumping yeah. in this movie y'all. Oh. Tub thumping. <laughs> and it's not the fun kind no. <laughs> no no not exactly as fun as having you know whiskey drink or a cider drink right singing the songs reminding of the sad times yeah this is about a, a kid getting drowned in a bathtub uh, not quite as fun. <laughs> not not <laughs> that was quite the, as fun. Still on the fun side. A of handicap kid being drowned <laughs> oh, in a bathtub. Uh, we found out that that was actually like the deleted third verse of tub thumping. Yeah. <laughs> Killing a crippled kid. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you take a whiskey drink. You take a vodka drink. Oh no. So, uh, all right. So, because we're talking about that, we should talk about the concept of the changeling because it, sure. it ties into that. The changeling uh, uh, in a lot of old mythology and folk tale was uh, the fairies would come in and replace a human baby with a fairy baby. And uh, one of the things that was an indication that you had a, a um, changeling was that the child became sickly. Now, okay, they believe that you know folklorists and, and, and people that work on this believe that that probably is uh, an invention that they came up with to excuse infanticide for when you know say you're working to feed a whole big family and then you have a baby that needs all of your time but you can't give it all of your time uh you can just maybe excuse it away as well it's a fairy baby so we can get rid of it (laughs) Um, that old ultra late term abortion right yes which was (laughs) a lot more common than we like to believe in the past oh yeah yeah so uh this this is actually playing with that i like that it's playing with the that concept a little bit because again in the 70s the expectation of doing deep research wasn't really there so either that's just coincidental or it it is playing specifically with the idea of like infanticide and and the child being replaced in this case by a healthy version of the unhealthy child huh that's interesting yeah because it kind of takes the myth and puts it into a real world life context Uh yeah yeah i was really wondering more about the whole like changeling mythology and stuff that you're talking about because there's there's also like the angelina jolie movie that was called the changeling but that's not related to this is it right but actually the the two have a similar sort of uh uh opposite premise like i was saying where a a a a child uh, is being replaced by a healthy version. Uh, in the Changeling, the Angelina. This is a true story. Angelina Jolie's character's child uh, is kidnapped, perhaps goes missing, and uh, the police. A kid hears the story 
and gets on a train and goes to Los Angeles and pretends to be her missing child. And then the police make her take the child home, even though she's saying, that's not my child, and eventually put her in a mental institution because she refuses to take care of the child they are insisting is hers. Uh, What we find out later in reality is that the child most likely was killed by a serial killer that was caught. Wow. Yeah. Directed by Clint Eastwood. Directed by Clint Eastwood. And Angelina Jolie is really good in it. It's 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 worth watching. Dang. You ever seen that, Brandon? Yeah, it's been a long time. I actually, weirdly enough, I don't remember liking it. But, uh, yeah. again, it's been a long time. So things change when you yeah. like rewatch stuff. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, because it's a true story. I think it was one of those I was watching in a time. I watched Iron Jawed Angels around the si- same time. Uh, I was studying. This was in grad school. I was studying that era specifically of like how women were being treated. Like they're just like so many specific instances of uh, like this. Them telling a woman that a child that isn't her child is her child. <laughs> like just like no this is your child deal with it like what i remember it coming out that's when i was working at blockbuster all the time and so the trailers that they play for that movie all the time had a clip in it where angelina jolie had a line where it was like give me back my child or give me my real child and every time it would play i kept thinking of Mel gibson going give me back my son (laughs) (laughs) get off my plane yeah i could never i could never disassociate the two right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah all of the ghostly atmosphere in this leads to some really memorable scenes because the fact is that this is a pretty slow burn movie but whenever things get intense whenever the the weirdness gets ramped up it leads to some extremely scary and memorable scenes. Brandon, what's some of the scenes in this movie that really stand out to you as some of the ones that, you know, have burned themselves into your memory? Well, I mean, easily that's that's the the drowning scene with the bathtub. Oh um, my gosh, man. Like, I, rank, I rank it up there with like, I mean, it's like fire in the sky ending type. Yeah. Just creepy. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, goes back to the sound editing and the, mm-hmm. the, the editing itself and how they, how they shot it. And, um, it just, it's brutal. The close-ups of the hands, the, yeah. the use of the slow motion and the, and the sound, uh, just, it's just piercing in your ears and then you get a close-up of the face in the water and mm-hmm. then cut to the wide shot holding the feet. And you're just like, this is just cruel. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. cruel. Yeah. And it, it, it's hard to watch, um, especially since it's a kid and you're just like, it's just terrifying. Yeah. And it, you know, you're not seeing, uh, there's no blood, there's no, you know, stabbing or anything like that. And there's no even like holding a face down. It's just, showing that this crippled boy is is being held by his legs and he has gotten no way out. It's like ultimate, ultimate claustrophobia. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding, man. And well, also too, just like knowing that, you know, because of the way that he is crippled, it's like he absolutely cannot fight back. Like yeah. his legs don't even work, you yeah. know? Yeah. He's got, oh, man. He's stuck. It's crazy too, because it's one of those scenes that in your memory is way more graphic than what's actually on the screen. Like, yeah, if you exactly. go and watch it's clever it, editing, they don't, yeah. it's clever editing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Because, like, you watch it, 
and it's so shocking and out of nowhere and later on you're like i guess they killed a kid to make this movie <laughs> that, I, yeah that was my exact thought just like with opera with the stabbing through the the oh, lower part oh, of the man. mouth there it looks so real it's like i guess they just killed that guy i was watching this i was like <laughs> how did they do that to that kid like watching it again the second time i was like oh i see this in the editing like he probably only had his head underwater for half a second when they got yeah, one shot yeah. that was all they needed but that again is just a testament to how good the editing is because you just get sold on it like that looks wrong well here's what you don't know about it though there's actually a vast web of conspiracy uh and it's just hidden in plain sight this movie's called the changeling you're talking about infanticide replacing kids with other kids and stuff a guy was actually really just that sick of his kid and is like i need a good way to kill this kid <laughs> i'll write a script <laughs> just build a movie around it <laughs> It's actually a snuff film. <laughs> the original name was The Dad Who Was a Hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, a little too obvious. A little too obvious. Yeah, they definitely killed a kid for that. Yeah, it's it's so shocking. It's something that I like about that scene too, Brandon, is like in terms of the pacing and the timing of that, it's pretty much right after the seance scene, which is weird enough. Yeah. And you kind of think like that's a beat. It'll be a little while before there's another, no. you know, big, uh, big scary beat in the movie, but it's kind of right after it. Yeah. Um, he's going back and listening through the tape and he hears that super creepy child voice yeah. on the tape. Oh my God, man. And that's, that's one of those things that, you know, I've said it on the show many times, like, Little kids saying creepy stuff is one of the lamest things ever in a horror movie for me. It never works. It's never scary. Like, children singing creepy songs never does anything for me. But there's something about the delivery and, like, this again, the sound design, even the way they recorded that kid saying um, just those little sentence fragments that he says. He sounds so just hopeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got such a weak voice, like, um, yeah. yeah, you really get, like, just the pathetic element of it. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, I think you're right, like, the way they did it. And maybe it works specifically because it doesn't lean on the voice to be scary. Like, right. the voice is giving us information. Like, we're not necessarily... It's it's eerie, and it does have that, like, hair on the back of your neck sort of stand on in. Like, it does definitely has that to it, but it's not supposed to scare you. Mm-hmm. And whenever, whenever they do that, that's when it's kind of cheesy. Because why are we just supposed to be scared just because some kids are singing? Like... Yeah, totally, man. And I like, too, like, the way that he just speaks in those little, you know, like, one and two word fragments when he's like, body wet, the well, Mm -hmm. my metal. Like, it almost gives me the impression that he's having to, like, really exert himself to even get any words out beyond the spiritual realm or something. Like, I love that. I think it makes it so much creepier. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yep. Steve, you got any spooky scenes that kind of stand out for you in this movie? Spooky scenes. So, for me, the the more spooky parts are what's going on with the politician because we actually don't get a full view of that conspiracy. We know the truth of it, but like Mrs. Norman gives them that story early on which is like basically her misdirecting them to cover up for this senator who was the child who replaced the drowned child like to me that's all scary because you see this like you see these very real world things in motion like he controls the police 
and like, yeah. like he and he's presented not necessarily as a bad guy. It just like gives us this view of like all politicians kind of have way too much power. So a lot of that was scary to me. The particular scenes though with the kid, I I would say definitely. Uh, even though. I would have acted differently. The wheelchair chase scene. <laughs> oh man! Yes, dude, <laughs> like that's awesome. It's uh, it works. Like I get that. Like she shouldn't be running. She shouldn't be running downstairs. But it's like, what else do you do? Like, do you fight yeah. the wheelchair? <laughs> do get out with that, that wheelchair? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just punching that wheelchair. Yeah. So like, there were a few things I thought you might try, but each one of them, I was like, whatever is pushing that could probably still exert some force against you. And uh, I just, yeah, get away is is it? I think if I was being chased by a chair, though, I would just assume it was a really lonely chair that wanted somebody to sit in it. I would just like. <laughs> I'd be like, come on up, big guy. Grab a seat in that thing. It's probably like, yay, this is what I was born to do. This is all that gives me joy. Put your butt in me. Yeah. Put your butt in me. Yep. I mean, who's never said that at some point in their life, right? <laughs> Put your butt in me. Yep. Famous last words. Yep. Famous, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she kind of gets bowled down those stairs. Yeah. And then kind of starts to go back for round two, it looks like. Yeah, she's, she's like, I'm going to go back up these stairs. I haven't had enough of the wheelchair, so <laughs> I'm going to go back up. That's when George C. Scott comes back. He's like, why are you trying to go back upstairs? Yeah, that's let, a, let me, the, back the, the wheelchair. The wheelchair is over here in the floor. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. But but maybe in her mind, she's thinking, hey, wheelchairs can't go upstairs. Yeah, that's a good so, point, actually. That's a good yeah. It's like, well, once I've got it down here, now I can go. She could have just done that in the first place. Once she went down the first set of stairs, just she's going to climb it. the banister and then jump back on the stairs and come back up. I like how the show is like... Uh, it's Gosh, evolved Claire. into a discussion on wheelchair fighting tactics. <laughs> How to beat a wheelchair, volume one. Volume one, yeah. it's It goes well into the 30s in volumes. Yeah, I I thought that scene was really effective, though. It, it, it really works. Yeah, all those parts where he's going up to the secret room uh-huh. up there in the attic, and there's like all the immense amount of cobwebs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, all that was really crazy. And then, honestly, one of the parts of the movie that that blew my mind the most is whenever he goes up there and he opens up that music box and it's playing the song that he himself just okay, wrote. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. That is the most eerie scene, yes. Yep. And the seance did too. I'm, yeah. I'm going to say, this is one of the best seance movie scenes. seances yeah. ever yeah. because yeah. it's played so ordinary. Stuff isn't flying everywhere, like the table's not like going crazy, yeah. but you do still get some like manifestations, like the, the glass getting thrown across the room and all that. So it, it works more effectively when it's minimal like that. Yeah, and too, like, I like that they didn't play up the uh, the medium that's kind of running the seance. Like she's not like an old crone right. with one milky yes. eye, yeah. and you know what I mean. Like she's just a normal person, yeah. and all the people are like, "Yeah, this is what we do." I, I hold the paper and put the pencil in her hand while she does the automatic writing. And yeah, it's all presented. I would imagine how a normal seance is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they were going a bit for Lorraine Warren with that because again, like the Warrens, despite the fact that I know that they were scamming a whole bunch of people they did present themselves logically and and try not to be like overly miss cleo crazy with people yeah because they knew that wouldn't sell 
Like, the more logical mm-hmm. you are, the more you're going to convince people. Yeah. And so the way that, yeah, the way she just is matter-of-fact about everything. She's not she's not Zelda Rubenstein in, in Poltergeist, where she's like <laughs> the comic book superhero type of person. She just shows yeah. up, does that, and then that's it. Like, she's not even part of the rest of the story. So there's not really a ton of special effects shots in this movie. It's really just a lot of very subtle things like yeah. um, like doors opening and closing yeah. or and things like that. Or a ball bouncing down the stairs, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's one of the parts that really freaked me out, yeah. too. I didn't know that was from this movie. Yeah. Uh, I guess I got overshadowed by the other 1980 <laughs> ball rolling down <laughs> right. carpet movie. There may have been another year. one, right. Yeah, yeah, but that scene where he goes and, like, yeah, tosses it off the bridge and it comes back rolling down the stairs as soon as he's home and it's wet. Like, dude, that's that's a practical effect that cost 50 cents. Yeah, the ball. And it's yeah. so <laughs> convincing. I do wonder what their fishing line budget was for the movie. That was probably through the roof. <laughs> Just so much. Pulling all them, all them doors and we stuff We spent upwards of $100 on fishing line. <laughs> that's impossible. <laughs> But one of the biggest like effect shots we get that was really memorable to me is the the fire racing down the banister towards the end yeah. of the movie. What, what so do you guys good. think about the the end of this flick? Because it seems to confuse a lot of people. That was the main main thing that was driving me nuts. Because I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, I understand that he's the senator is in his house. And they were cutting away to him walking in the house, and this is just a projection. I was like, I get it. And then they wheel the body out, and I was like, hold on a minute. Is he being wheeled out? Like, that's how I perceived it. And Of the burnt-down mansion. Right. Yeah. right. And then I was very confused, and then just started to discuss it. They're rolling him out of his home that he died in. Yeah. But it is kind of confusing. It is. Because it just shows the burnt-down house, then them collecting his body. It makes you think, like... Was his body actually there in the house fire? Right, yeah. And the bo- the houses are both just huge mansions that look pretty similar. So yeah, like but what happens there is is that they leave the the burning house and drive to the senator's house and it's the senator being pulled out of his house after he died in his office that we're seeing when we see the ambulance. So yeah. Despite right. the, yeah, that is some confusion there. Just it's uh yeah, it's 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 weird. I looked at it again uh, right before we started recording, and it, yeah, the way it's it's put together, it's a little uh, unclear. But yeah, so it's it's definitely the senator's house there. I got the impression that he was doing some like astral projection, yeah. or, like a remote viewing kind of thing, because that was sort of hinted at earlier on in the movie too. There's that part where George is in the house. And he looks in that mirror, and it shatters. And then he um, sees the the kid yeah. get drowned. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's when he sees the detective. In the oh, detective. right. Yeah. Because you see him kind of like the windshield through right, the mirror yeah, he that he's looking at. Right, yeah, sees the wreck, yeah. So Ooh. that kind of like shows us that I, I guess the kid can maybe somehow make people remote view things from great distances or astrally transport them to other places. Yeah. It's not really spelled out all that no, well, it's which not. I like. I like that a lot, too. The world yeah. is, that we're introduced to is just basically a world where a lot of these paranormal phenomena that were popular around the time just exist, and there's no need to explain them. Yeah. 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 So I like that. So whenever I saw, you know, the senator walking up those burning stairs, which is such a cool, yeah. cool yeah. visual, man. Because you see George C. Scott see him walking up the stairs, too, and he's like, what is he doing here? Right, yeah. <laughs> he's going up there because it's nice and warm. Yeah, he like, that's the best place to go if a house is on fire. You want to get to the top because that's where the heat's escaping. So that's where you escape, right? 
Yeah. I think that's how it works. Okay, yeah. The flames <laughs> will push you out. Um, yeah, really cool. Like, I thought the ending was really neat, but I can see how it would be confusing to a lot of people. Uh, we need to talk about how this is supposedly based on a true story that Ooh. Russell Hunter... Uh, playwright uh, says he experienced staying in the Chessman Mansion or the Chessman Park Mansion in Denver, Colorado, in the '60s. Now, the claim that he gives is almost exactly the story. He says he he found uh, a, a hidden doorway in his house that led to an attic where he found um, a diary of a child. And some school books and things like that, which is, you know, basically what happens in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that also they had a seance and that he learned that the child was dead and buried under a well and that they then went to the house that was over top the well and found the body. This is that sounds a lot like this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now. People have investigated this, and it is not true. <laughs> this did not happen. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's Impossible. Not, it's not true. It's uh, it's good. That, I mean, that's good salesmanship on the part of Russell Hunter, though. I think he was definitely, as I said, this is building on Lorraine and Ed Warren. Like, this is really building on a, a just a feeling around the time and a popularity of, like, haunted houses and stuff. The thing is, saying it's a true story kind of diminishes how creative the story he came up with is. Like, Hmm. he came up with this. If it was a true story, it's like, wow, that's wild. But he actually just invented all this, and it's like, well, that's really creative. Like, take credit for it. Yeah, he gets a gold star for creativity, even if it was an outright lie. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did a little bit of research about the the whole, like, Cheeseman Park or whatever it's called in, in Denver, and it was like... It was, like, formerly a big cemetery, and, like, a fancy neighborhood nearby got upset about it, and they are like, move the bodies. Yeah. So they moved the bodies, but they didn't move all the bodies. And, uh, yeah, there was apparently some hauntings around the area and stuff like that. But, again... That's his story. Who knows, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the true... Yeah, the, the... I was reading on the Denver Public Library website. They have a few different articles on it where they've done the investigations like uh, a couple the couple that built the mansion there like it was just a normal lot and they built a mansion on it and they lived there and they died they didn't have kids (laughs) that was it well you know ultimately though at the end of the day and and this is like the best uh, song by the Smiths or Morrissey that never got released ultimately the whole world is a cemetery whoa (laughs) mine yeah <laughs> so really, I don't know how like relevant that is to hauntings and stuff like that. Anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, this story is just so well done. It does. It doesn't matter if that story is true or not. <laughs> Wait, yeah, it's well done. Whoa. Did you do that on purpose? Look at that. But a well, like the well in yeah, this movie. I gotcha. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got you. Those scenes were super freaky. Yes, too, they by were. The way. Yeah, because it's like, can you believe that lady let those people come in and cut up her floor? Those beautiful harbor floors. <laughs> that, go- that goes back to the, like, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Hey, knock, knock. There might be a dead boy's yep. bones in, in your basement. Can and I she just buys it. Yep. Sure. Mm-hmm. Come on in. <laughs> yeah, that's this world. This world, just that is just normal type of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Try and do that in 2020. <laughs> no doubt. Well, that's the thing in this movie, too, where, like, there were several times in this where I was just like, 
all right privileged old white guy yeah like, at the end of that scene after they dig up this kid's bones from under this house the cops are like how did you know the kid would be here he's seriously just like i don't know yeah <laughs> then he, it doesn't he nothing happens <laughs> finds a piece of evidence and then keeps it and then runs yeah. onto <laughs> a private jet runs toward a private jet a senator is boarding and all the people do is just stop him and turn him back towards his car no arrest <laughs> nobody is like obviously take him down everybody's just like okay let him have his say and then turn him around and take him back to his car it's okay <laughs> it's not a gun it's a necklace yeah don't worry it's he's okay. an old white guy it's fine He's just <laughs> in a mansion. Just selling some jewelry, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it is. Nothing to it right there. Oh, man. Yeah, when he does that and he shows the senator the, the birth medal and stuff, and we see the senator has, like, the same birth medal around his neck. Yeah. It kind of got me wondering, did the senator know the whole time that mm. he was the swap? I mean, because the thing is, is they say that, you know, the kid died when he was, like, six, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, you have memories of. Yes, when you, you definitely six, right? do. You definitely do. I think. I think it is it, because of the conspiracy I was talking about with Miss Norman and the cops and stuff. I think it is something that he knows. Maybe he knows enough about that he wants to cover it up, but he hasn't investigated it fully because it does seem like he's learning things. Yeah, Brand, do you think it seems like he knew the whole time? Yeah, I, I think he knew, but he didn't want to accept it, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I'm almost certain that when you get to that part of the movie, I think that's the first time in the film you really leave Jorsey Scott's perspective. Yeah, that's true. And it, and, yeah. and it uh -huh. goes into that airplane with the senator. Right, yeah, and we see what's going on with him. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on it, but even when I went back and rewatched it the other day, when it cuts to the senator inside the plane, it felt very weird because I was like, yeah, we're, we're away from our, our main character and it doesn't seem like the screen's really left him the whole movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the scene is, is, I think, still important. Um, yeah, he and, seems and, pretty shook. Yeah, and I think it's still appropriate to be there, but it's still a, a very interesting choice. Do you think it's possible? Because the only other perspective we see is the the boys. The boy. Do you yeah. think it's possible that he is there? Like, he's watching the reaction? Like, he does seem to be able to have some presence or knowledge of what's right. going on outside the house. Oh, huh. So you're saying whenever we see inside the plane we're seeing ghost boy yeah he see he's seeing how the guy reacts basically like maybe wow. maybe if it had been a positive reaction where he's like oh no i did not know this like the ghost wouldn't have uh had to kill the cop and stuff hmm. yeah because if the kid can see him at the end and know the conversation going on at least then i mean sure he had to know the conversation going on during the plane it would seem that way, yeah. So maybe that explains it. Is the senator a bad guy? He does. Like, did he deserve to like die at the end of the movie? And did that, you know, absolve anything or make anything better? It seems like the changeling kid's dad is the one that's really the bad guy here. But he's yeah. dead by the time the movie starts. Well, yeah. I don't know. He's a he's an old white guy in the eighties. He's a politician, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's <laughs> he done some bad stuff. Maybe yeah. he deserved to die. Yeah, they were all heroes. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, you're right. The his death is like, why does that have to happen at the end? I think it might have maybe been even better if he survived and was like, oh. 
I should do something about this and somehow like fixed it or tried to fix it, establish some monument to the child. You know how we all learn history from from statues. Statues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Could have made a statue of the boy. Yeah. I don't know. Like he he maybe there could have been a different ending. I don't know that dying was. Yeah, he definitely didn't deserve to die, but he is also shown as just being old, so maybe he was like... All, just a time to go. Yeah, oh, and yeah. also he died that night. <laughs> what? In an unrelated note, he died in his sleep. <laughs> just fade to be. black and it yeah. says, you know, the senator passed away of natural causes. <laughs> See you at the crossroads. And then a French See guy just crossroads. shows up on screen smoking a cigarette and he's like, C'est la vie, huh? How <laughs> like life, this film. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brandon, one element that did surprise me here, especially considering when this was made and how they were writing a lot of roles and stuff back then. I was really surprised to not see any romance develop between mm-hmm. George C. Scott and, uh, oh, what's her name, Claire, in this movie. Do you think that adding a romantic element would have brought anything to this, or do you think that it was good the way they left it? I think it's good the way they left it, because honestly, the whole his whole motivation is solely on the loss of his family yeah, and his, his wife and yeah. kid. and you take that away and you start in incorporating some sort of love interest, then that's another motivation going a different right. way. And it's t- so, yeah, I don't think he had any interest at all in love, but, uh, solving and saving a, a life that he couldn't previously save. Uh, it's the kind of thing that they could have added in, but yes. I don't think it would have made it any better. Wouldn't improve no. it at all. No. Uh, what do you think about the character of Claire? Yeah, well, she, yeah, yeah. Not a lot to her. She, yeah, no, she's she's, she's kind of like, uh, oh, oh, what's her name from Temple of Doom? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mar- Marianne. Yeah. Just uh, screaming and and needing help all the time. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. She's she's so easy to cry in this that it's like. I, I just don't know. Like, she's the only one in this world that seems shocked by ghosts ever. Yeah, if, <laughs> they, rema- if they remade it today, they would have to get Julianne Moore to play it, because... <laughs> she always be crying. Right. cries, yeah. cries and everything. <laughs> she's great at it. <laughs> Wonderful actress. She's amazing, dude. Yeah. The old crying Julianne Moore, she's known yeah. as. But I I, th- <laughs> I still think Trish Vandeveer does a good job in this, and oh, they, yeah. did, they did... They did give her more of, I think, a sidekick role, which is, you know, as we said, there's no, like, love interest going on. So because of that, that, that lack of love interest, she has a sidekick sort of role, and the fact that she keeps going with it does show her as sort of, like, strong. Yes. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to ever argue that she is a feminist icon in this, but uh, mm. she's not. she's not absolutely weak, but she does... Yeah, immediately devolve into screaming and crying a lot. Mm, getting chased by chairs, yeah. just like women's prone She's to. She's a whaling ripper. That is true. Chairs can smell the female pheromones, and uh-huh, they just they chase, chase you. them down. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so overall, she's not a super strong character, but, I mean, considering this is really all about George C. Scott and his whole, you know, quest, right. I don't think that it really detracts from the movie, but, yeah, definitely... There's apparently going to be a remake of this, I've heard. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. That's. I hope that they play her up better. Yeah, I, I would like to see her with a little bit more strength. But also, like, I think that, uh, you know, you could easily, if you do a remake, fall into doing 
exposition too much. Like this, as we've said, doesn't reveal a lot. But it also does have a big exposition dump. I was going to ask you guys about that. Um, you know, the the whole tale of what happened is kind of like coming together piece by piece. And then we have that scene where George and Claire meet. And it seems like George has just suddenly put Everything all the pieces together. together. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of that, Brandon? Is that like a smooth thing to you? Or did you feel like that was just a big info dump? It does feel like a big info dump. And I mean, I think that also goes back to the time period where it was made where mm, right you know there was a lot of exposition dumping yeah. in a lot of films in the in the especially in the 70s and this just came out in the 80s so yeah. this is pretty much still that typical um typical style yeah which you know i i relate a lot of this film to gene hackman's the conversation mm. and uh, brian de palma's uh, the uh, blowout mm. i've never seen either of those I feel like I've been saying this the whole episode. I've never even seen that. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen a movie. Just great, great movies, wonderful editing, but there are times in all three of these movies where you have kind of exposition dumping where I guess nowadays they get a little bit more creative or they usually put that annoying side sidekick character there to be the audience yeah and we get it earlier in the movie usually than we get it here yeah right uh yeah the way he puts everything together too is like just it does seem too quick yeah Yeah. i actually had to go back and rewind it like two times to catch everything i mean i'm also like a real idiot with keeping up with people's names and (laughs) you know family trees and movies so that's also partially me but yeah that scene finished and i was like wait what yeah how did, he, how did he figure out all that stuff and put together those pieces? We didn't even get to see him with the big map with a bunch of pieces of red string and, right. and thumbtacks all <laughs> over it, right? But we did get a really good, like some good research scenes, like with microfiche and everything. Yeah. Oh, it's I not a 70s it. movie without microfiche, yeah. dude. No, no. I loved it, man. It, and it also, the way they shot it kind of reminded me of The Ring. I think The Ring, they, yeah. they kind of, I mean, you know, they went for that like green tone throughout with The Ring. But when she's in the uh, archives watching that video, it's similar sort of shot setup. One thing that kind of threw me off, too, in the movie as far as some of the exposition goes is it seems like there was maybe somewhat of a red herring or just sort of a dangling plot line with another kid that died that got hit by a coal car or something. What was up with that? Well, that's definitely not a dangling plot line. It, it gets fulfilled. Uh, everything Everything's finished because what it is is a... Uh, as I said, Miss Norman uses it as a convenient lie to try to get him off the scent of what's going on with the senator. The there is there was a kid that died, so whenever she's able to put that together for him, she thinks that's going to end it. The seance then the medium asks if it is that kid, and the kid says no. So it works as a red herring. I think well because what it's showing us is not um, is it's not wasting our time with just a separate story. It's showing us that Miss Norman is up to no good, which is going to reveal True. the further conspiracy plot that's going on. But it is yeah. it does seem to be like especially because that conspiracy doesn't get revealed for a while. It does seem to be like, well, why is that even there? Yeah, yeah. it's just to throw them off. Is what you're exactly? Saying. Yeah, it's just to yeah. throw them off of the scent. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, she does a good job of being like this movie's horror harbinger. Like yeah. every every horror movie that's great has a harbinger in there somewhere. Road. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. man. It's got a death curse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and in this movie, she's the one that's like this movie. This house don't want nobody's butts in it. Oh uh, yeah, what like, does she oh say? God. There's a there's a line in it that it was just it doesn't perf- want people. Yeah, in it, it doesn't or something want like pe- that. Yeah, it doesn't want people. That is a dope line. Mm. I liked that. Wouldn't it have been awesome, though, if there was a scene in there where it was George C. Scott in the house and the ghostly voice from the house goes, Get out of me, bro. <laughs> Get out of me. Bro, you're deep in me. Get out of me. <laughs> Get out of my guts, my house guts. <laughs> I think that definitely would have made the movie better. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, such a cool flick, man. And it's like we were saying, I, I do feel like this influenced so much. And even a lot of the soundtrack in this movie. Oh, uh-huh. I think influenced a lot of other movies too. Like especially towards the start of the flick, there's some really mm. eerie, depressing, yeah, like piano and orchestral stuff that so reminds me of the music at the end of House of the Devil. Oh, whenever it's okay. showing her in the hospital, uh, yeah, it's got the same like chord construction stuff where it's like these. It's a minor chord with a major seven, and it's called the minor minor major seven chord. Mm-hmm. Really eerie, spoopy sounds. And it uses those, and that just reminded me of, of House of the Devil. That's which is, awesome. Again, another movie that features a big old spooky house. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, as we said, definitely influenced other flicks like The Ring, The Others. Um, what was the one that we did recently, Steve? Uh, what Lies Beneath. Yeah, What Lies Beneath. Yeah, I definitely saw <laughs> a good bit of that. Uh, though What Lies Beneath is is not as uh, well developed as this. It's definitely what What Lies Beneath was going for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not getting. Yeah, Brandon, do you like What Lies Beneath? I liked it when I was a you know when, when it came younger, out. And saw, when Same. it came out and yeah. saw it in theaters, I liked it. And I remember thinking maybe about a year ago, I was like, "Hey, I haven't seen that in forever. It's on streaming. I'm going to watch it." And I watched it. and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, it's dude, not this, good. It's this isn't really good." And it's you know you got a great cast and a yeah. great director attached to it, and you're just like, "What happened?" And I feel like, too, this is another one of those wonderful movie scenarios, just like Volcano and Dante's Peak coming out at the same time, where, you know, it's (laughs) like if you compare this movie to The Shining that came out the same year, it's like both of them have this amazing Steadicam use. Yeah. Uh, The ball thing we talked about, the kid thing. It's like there's so many shared ideas between those movies. And also, I really like that shot, too, by the way, where it's the Steadicam quickly going up the stairs is like the ghost vision. It's like Super Evil Dead. It felt yeah. just like the Evil Dead ghost yeah. vision. Ooh, you know? uh, I wanted to ask that. Okay, so when he goes to the mansion, that shot of them driving up the driveway is a great shot. Oh yeah, but it looks like I cannot imagine how they because it's like it doesn't look like a helicopter shot. It looks too stable to be a helicopter shot. And then, hmm. like, it, it would be right above the trees, so the trees would be moving. So it's like, did they find just, like, a big pole and climb up <laughs> it or something? <laughs> That's like, a good question, It's actually. a great shot. I, I wonder how they got it. it. It just doesn't seem to be a helicopter shot, especially in the 70s for how smooth it is. I mean, I don't know how big they were making jibs back then. Yeah, could be. How, I don't, I mean, it'd have to be a... It'd be pretty I mean, tall, know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know I know. nowadays they make them huge, but I don't know about back then. I don't know. I was thinking maybe what they did was uh, a jib and uh, uh, on a hill a little bit further away and used a maybe tighter um, lens 
and just yeah. did like a smaller, slower pan. But I don't know. I loved the shot and just watching it I was like, how did they get that? It just doesn't work for me unless like maybe there was like a uh, a telephone tower nearby that they were just like, oh, cool. You just stand up there and take it. Maybe they hired a ghost. Ooh. Oh, wow. What you can do that? Well, it was a stunt mm-hmm. ghost. Oh, yeah, stunt, stunt oh, well, ghost. Yeah, no, I know about stunt ghosts, obviously. Them and the stunt orphans have their own guilds. <laughs> Bring in the stunt orphan for Bring the death Bring in the stunt shot. orphan to actually drown. <laughs> we don't want a real what kid that, dying. Mister? Nothing. <laughs> don't worry about it. You're going to be a star, they say. <laughs> I think the only tweak I would want out of this is I would like to see it remade with George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge instead. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he calls the kid a spot of mustard or a crumb of beef. <laughs> exactly, yeah. dude. And I'm thinking, too, like whenever, you know, he gets the, uh, the vision that the kid, you know, was drowned and stuff, he'd be like, huh. Better to decrease the surplus population. <laughs> <laughs> the orphan houses are overrun. At the end, as the house is burning down, he sees a goose running in, and he's like, perfect. <laughs> a cooked goose for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he's happy the house burns down because then he won't have to buy another shovel of coal, stuff like that. <laughs> you just hear Tiny Tim under the water going, bless us. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. Um, as far as like any any final thoughts and a one to ten rating, uh, why don't you kick us off there, Steve, and let us know where oh, you okay. would put this bad boy. Uh, I I really enjoyed this. It is not uh, too long. It, it's an hour forty. I think it runs at a, at a good pace. It keeps keeps my attention as it's going, and like it it does what good haunting slash ghost movies do where it keeps you glued to the screen looking for things to move like looking for something to shift or change watching the backgrounds and stuff yeah Yeah. and that keeps you invested and the story uh, i like i like the world that it exists in where you just don't even have to explain some of these ghost things because it's just like yeah everybody knows that we've all got a house nearby that's got ghosts in it duh uh I like all that. I like George C. Scott, uh, Trish Vandeveer. I think I think the the cast is all great. the The setting, the way it's shot, everything. Enjoy it. Um, it's not perfect, for sure. It's got its problems, as you said. That red herring probably comes a little too early for the reveal of the conspiracy for it all to sort of fit together. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I if I'm grading this, I'm gonna say it's definitely been super influential. So like, I'm gonna say maybe like an eight to yeah. an eight and a half. It's definitely influenced a ton of movies I love and very watchable. Yeah, I totally totally agree with that, Brandon. What do you think about that? Um, I I, I agree with I agree with Steve on all those. Um, I'm very curious to you know see how the remake is gonna yeah. be. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if they even think about flipping genders and making yeah. the George C. Kai character a female character. That could work absolutely. And, and get a female to direct it and yeah. get that perspective of loss of family yeah. and uh, saving a child uh, from a female perspective. I think that would be uh, really interesting to see. And let a man get chased by a chair for once. Yeah, let a man get in the cry and scream. That's actually something <laughs> I did want to praise this movie for is it puts George C. Scott in the traditional hysterical role in the role of I believe in ghosts because normally that role is is the, the female character who immediately sort of believes in the ghosts and the male right. character who's skeptical. So that's true. That's yeah, interesting. That is true. Yeah. yeah. I agree with everything Steve said. And 
I probably I probably give it an eight as mm-hmm. well. You know, I I almost hate that I always take so long to go back and rewatch it, uh, and that it's something that most people forget about. Um, and then you go back and watch it, and you're like, what the hell? Why haven't I been watching this like every right, year? Yeah. During certain seasons or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those I could see myself rewatching for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and it gets, you know, I've watched it I watched it twice before we recorded yeah, this. Yeah, me too. Um, so the the second rewatch was even better because cuz the first rewatch was like I haven't seen this in years. I don't know what's really going to happen. And uh, then I rewatched it again. I was like it's just a whole different experience. So I think it's fantastic and definitely up there should be ranked up there with tops even as The Shining. Dude, it, it's crazy just to see that this is one of those flicks that so few people you know, put on their their top list and talk about influential horror movies and stuff like that because it clearly did influence so much stuff that even came as late as you know. I mean, when did The Ring come out? Like twenty years after this. Yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting to see how far ahead of its time it was in a lot of ways. And like I said, the soundtrack, the setting, all that stuff just builds up that really grim, tense atmosphere of foreboding and haints and boogers that I love so much that so few movies do very well. Even though it is a slow burn, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Usually right. those kinds of movies like at least top out at two hours. Right. Yeah. But this movie moves by at a pretty reasonable pace, and it is a pretty tight hour and 40. Maybe that's also partly why we do have that big exposition dump, because right, yeah. if they kept following the trail of breadcrumbs for him to come to that hypothesis, then we probably would have ended up two with hours, a yeah. two-plus-hour yeah. movie. Yeah, so maybe they wanted to keep it a little tighter for that, but it seems like there was probably a more elegant way to get around some mm-hmm. of those conclusions. Yeah, you know? I agree. Uh but it still kept me gripped the entire time, and especially just those beats where stuff suddenly flies off the rails and things get really scary and intense or graphic, even just for a split second, uh, really never lets you get a sense of security or just kind of feel a lull or feel like you're starting to not pay attention to the movie because you know something crazy is probably going to happen again. Yeah. Really well-paced movie. Yet another movie that, that uh, Brandon, you've introduced me to that... I never would have watched otherwise. That has become a part of my movie-watching right. habits. It's become a regular. I think you guys are right. I think about an eight is probably where I would put this in as well. Yeah. look forward to watching it again for sure. And I'm also curious about that remake. Do we know anything about that? Do we know a cast, a director? Is it just like yeah, we I, know there is going to be one? Yeah, we just know that they're they're looking to, to do it. I'm sure uh, that got delayed a little bit by this uh, entire situation. But, uh, (laughs) oh, I I do see here that uh, the director of, uh, have you seen Taboo? Taboo, no. Okay. Taboo. Taboo, the show with, uh, it's... uh, Oh, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's a a director on Taboo, so TV director. Hmm. I would have figured they'd go for old, uh, what's his name, Haunting of Hill House guy. Oh, yeah, Mike Flanagan's great. If you haven't seen Taboo, though, I can see how that... He, that tone could definitely translate into the change. Yeah. 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 Taboo is just uh, super weird. And yeah. plus, you, you get a TV director to do this movie, which this guy yeah. that directed it. Yeah, Peter Manning. to direct a lot of TV shows. Yeah, so, yeah. so. I, I could see this possibly being good. So, yeah, yeah hopeful. 
Right yeah. on. Right on, man. Well, Brandon, I'm so glad that you suggested this one. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And like I said, it's definitely one that I'll watch again. And if you guys have enjoyed this episode, one of the best things that you could do to help support our buddy Brandon here is to check out that that GoFundMe that you've got going to pay for your uh, extremely expensive medical bills and your situation that you've got going on. If you guys like this episode and want to help us out, donating to that is going to be one of the best things that you can do. Brandon, does that have like a, a catchy URL or is it just, you know, GoFundMe slash 34978? Is it the kind of thing that we'll just put up a link and you guys can click on it there on the Facebook page or whatever? Probably just pick a, or put up a link. Okay. I'm, I'm looking. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's GoFundMe slash let's help. Brand, yeah, it's just. Okay. It's a novel of a, of a URL. So gotcha. yeah, we'll put yeah. that up on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. And uh, if you guys feel so kind to, to toss a couple bucks Brandon's way, that would mean the world to us. So yeah. be sure to consider doing that. And Thank hey, you. if you want to do something totally for free uh, that helps us out, go on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to this and rate and review the podcast. Let them know how good it is. Tell them. You got to tell the world how good it is and how good it gets to you by leaving a five-star review. And at the end of your review, leave a question that you would like us boys to answer on a future FAQ installment of the Preview Palace. So be sure to do that for us. It'll help us out a ton. Brandon, I hope this ain't the last time we get you on the show here. I'd love hey, to have no. you back for another movie sometime. Get you, Me get too. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even if we got to do it from the hospital, we'll figure out a way. Yeah. We'll figure out a way. Life finds a way. Life mm. finds a way, as 2020 has shown us all. Oh, my God. No kidding, man. <laughs> Steve, can they find a way to follow us on social media? On social media? Mm-hmm. On on the Twitter and the Instagram, at DeadLovelyPod. You can follow us. Uh, and as we said, Patreon.com forward slash DeadAndLovely. Go become a patron. Uh, $1 gets you, at the very least... Uh, uh, the extra episodes a month and five dollars you might even get to decide what we cover so head on yeah. over there well thank you guys so much for tuning in thank you so much Brandon for taking thank the you. time out of your day to tune in I know you got your wife and your kids your they want to hang out with you you're all cool you're like the most popular guy in the house I guess so they <laughs> probably want to spend some time with you so I appreciate you taking the time yeah. out of your day to hang out with us dorks sorry it took so freaking long to to make oh. this happen, right? Yeah, I'm glad we got it to work. I'm glad I'm not in the hospital for once. So yeah. thank you all for awesome. working around my crazy schedule. Nah. Heck yeah. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's been a fun one. And on next week's episode, we're going to be doing a very special pick from my wife. Mm-hmm. It is the week of her birthday, and my wife picked a movie. She did. Ooh. She picked a movie that I'm excited to do. Death Becomes Her. And I have not seen this movie, but I think once a really long time ago. I don't remember like anything about it other than it had weird special effects. Oh, it does. You're going to love it. Yeah. Also, Robert Zemeckis did it, that What Lies Beneath. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Maybe not the best Zemeckis movie to point out, but. (laughs) Yeah, he did some other movies, but he also did What Lies Beneath, you remember? (laughs) That one. Beowulf? Uh, Oh, Express? (laughs) No. Scary. (laughs) So you guys be sure to tune in for that. We'll be talking about Death Becomes Her next week, and we will catch you guys then. Thanks as always for listening. I have been Uncle Ben. Hollywood Steve. Brandon Suttles. And we have been dead and lovely. We'll catch you guys next time. (laughs) Yes, we finally made it through our first ever PG-rated episode. F*** yeah. (laughs)